Look, hiring is tough, right? It's very competitive right now. You got to move fast. You want to get to the best people and you don't want to waste a lot of time. But a place where growing businesses can go to connect with the most qualified candidates is ZipRecruiter. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton and you'll see for yourself. You can use a free trial there. It'll connect you to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. They have a powerful matching technology that will make sure that the thousands of resumes that you get access to will be scanned through so you'll get exactly the right people with the right experience for your job search. Folks, we used ZipRecruiter here to hire people for thehill.com, and we've gotten great hires. These are now my colleagues and friends, and they came courtesy of ZipRecruiter. It's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest-rated hiring site in America. Try for yourself. My listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, totally free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton. That's ZipRecruiter.com. Dot com slash Sexton for this exclusive offer. ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton, the smartest way to hire. This, this is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One make, make no mistake. America, great. you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Coming to you live from the constitutionally protected free speech bunker in the woods of Delaware. It is not Buck Sexton tonight, the godfather in again for Buck. He'll be back tomorrow. Michael Pelka here. I think Buck's in a plane somewhere 30,000 feet over the nation in the flyover state region right now. So I'm here. I'm here for the night. I expect you to participate. You guys know the rules. You've been here when I've been here. If you haven't, if you're just tuning in for the first time and picking me up, filling in for my buddy Buck Sexton, we go way back, way back to the early days of the blaze, theblaze.com. And a matter of fact, today is kind of a bit of a blaze anniversary. If we look at 828-2010, it was just a couple of days before the blaze launched. The blaze launched on a soft launch on August 30th, 2010, and then went full full on in uh, September of 2010. And that was theblaze.com. But 20, 2010, August 28th, was the 828 rally on the mall in Washington, D.C., a rally that so many people took exception to, but a couple hundred thousand people gathered on the mall by the reflection pool and the steps underneath the the Lincoln Monument. And uh, Glenn Beck led a rally called Restoring Honor. And I was part of it. I was there. I covered it. I was part of a group called the 912 Project. And then shortly thereafter, joined theblaze.com. It was an amazing day because uh, CBS News insisted there were about 70,000 people there. And if you looked at the estimates... From the parks, uh, the National Park Service, they talked about a couple hundred thousand people. And there were folks who said it was a half a million people. I will tell you from being there in the middle of it, that rally, that event, Restoring Honor, probably had between 250 and 275,000 people. Just looking at the crowd density on both sides of the monument and uh, being a part of it, an amazing day. When we left the mall that day, it was cleaner than when we got there. I kid you not. The people who showed up were told, it's not about the tea party. It's not about wearing your little tri-corner hats. We don't want signs. 
We just want to be there to talk about restoring honor to America. And I posted a link back to a video that I put up the next day, a video with a song my brother wrote. I have a brother who's a composer. So if you haven't seen I, I Hear America Calling, it's out there. But this is also the 55th anniversary of an even more famous and more important, obviously, by many, many multiples over, a more important speech delivered in the same location as the Restoring Honor event. In 1963, on August 28th, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave his I Have a Dream speech in Washington, D.C. I was a very young boy at the time, and we watched it as a family growing up in Chicago. It was a very big deal. I remember my parents talking about Dr. King, and I remember that speech being important growing up. And it's not that long. So I will tell you, I encourage you as, as citizens of this great country, if you've never watched the whole thing, go to the YouTube and watch it. Yes, I said the YouTubes intentionally. But go to the YouTubes and watch it. It is nothing short of inspiring. If Dr. King's words about America and what we are supposed to be do not strike a chord with you, you need to get to the doctor immediately. And my, my favorite moment from it, I think a lot, of, a lot of folks' favorite moment, I'll just give you a little snippet from right in the middle of it. It's, it's not even 20 minutes long out of your day. You owe it to yourself to watch history as it was recorded. But here's a little bit of Dr. King's dream speech from this day 55 years ago. I have a dream. My poor little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream. Imagine. Imagine seeing all those faces on the mall in Washington, D.C., a massive crowd extending past the Reflection Pond all the way back to the Washington Monument and Dr. King standing there giving that iconic address that really wasn't just for those people there. It was for the entire nation. An amazing moment. I know I get all, all fired up about this, but these are the moments in American history that tell me just how great of a nation we are. It's not the days when we see all the fighting on cable TV. It's not the name calling we see. It's not, I I lost my mind over ESPN today. Tiger Woods was asked if, uh, Tiger Woods was asked to make a comment on the president. Tiger Woods, a guy whose job it is to hit a little white ball over grass and then followed the little white ball and hit it fewer times than other guys hitting the little white ball. And if he does it the fewest, he gets a giant check. That's Tiger Woods' job. He's not a schooled political scientist. He's not someone who studied at, at Harvard or at Princeton or Yale or any of the, uh, the institutions of great political learning in our country. So when Tiger Woods is asked about President Trump and he says, I think we need to respect the office and Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman lose their minds and basically speak out in complete contradiction to what Dr. King just talked about. 
I lose my mind. I absolutely lose my mind. And I go back to a statement I made on Twitter earlier today. I remember when MTV was music television. I remember when A&E was arts and entertainment and not the Kardashians' butts. I remember when the History Channel actually taught history. But the, the ESPN channel has fallen off the beam and is no longer really focused on sports. Instead, they appear to be focused on politics. So when we, we have this moment with Max uh, Kellerman and Stephen A. Smith melting down, I should give you a little bit of that one, too, because this happened on ESPN. This is Kellerman and Stephen A. Smith, two guys who were paid a whole lot of money, supposedly on a sports network are going all political and to me it's uh, progressive indoctrination i want to say something about what tiger woods said okay now. go ahead it really bothers me i i don't i am angry at what tiger woods said mm -hmm. because it is it is a thoughtless statement dressed up as a thoughtful statement tiger woods chases a white ball over grass tiger woods hits a white ball he does it better than 99.9 percent .9 of the people on the planet that's his job his job is not to be a political pundit. But you go ahead, Max Kellerman. You accuse him of being thoughtless. It either holds in contempt the intelligence of the people who hear it, mm -hmm. or else it's just a stupid thing to say. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you what I mean. The, if to say that the office, you must have respect for the office. Tiger, be clear. Are you saying that the office therefore confers respect onto its occupant, its present temporary occupant? No, what the what the having respect for the office means principally, in my view, is the office holder should have respect for the office. Well, we, we are all that. set to a standard. We're held to a standard of behavior. We at our jobs, right? People in their in their daily lives. Mm -hmm. The president, if anything, is held to a higher standard of behavior. It is not such that we have such great respect for the office that no matter what the behavior of its occupant, we must therefore respect its occupant because of the office. No, Tiger Woods is being, is, you said being slick. Here he's being slick. We must respect the office, therefore that confers respect to the occupant. Tiger, is that what you're saying? If that's what you're saying, that is a stupid comment. So... Here's a sportscaster who is now suddenly a political prognosticator, a pundit, if you will, saying that Tiger Woods, a guy who is not in politics at all, I don't ever remember him talking politics ever, is stupid because he wants us to respect the office of the presidency. But if you think that Max Kellerman has lowered the bar as far as it can go, Stephen A. Smith is about to play the race card and call Tiger Woods, uh, well, he's not black. Listen, listen to this. Remember, we just, we just heard Dr. King talking about the, the content of someone's character, not the color of their skin. That just happened. We just played you a clip from 55 years ago, but all Stephen A. Smith can see is someone's color. And uh, if you are a certain color, you are supposed to act a certain way. Apparently, ESPN is telling us. Don't, be, but I, I don't even know if he believes that that's what he's well, saying. First of all, we don't know what Tiger Woods believes. He's Camblinasian. He's not black. When he got arrested. He's Camblinasian. He's not black. What in the hell is that? Talk about categorizing people just based on their racial makeup. ESPN, you should be 
suspending at least these people for being racist. How dare you? He's Campbell Nation. He's not black. This is the most embarrassing thing I've ever seen. And it's all because the progressive network owned by Disney, yes, the mouse, let's go right back to ABC and Stephanopoulos and ABC News and the connections to the Clintons uh, and the butthurt liberals who are now still freaking out almost two years after Donald Trump won the election. They're just not going to give it up. And they've gotten so far as to lose their minds over Tiger Woods saying that we should respect the office of the presidency. I, I just don't know what to say, people. I, I do not. I watched this and my eyes rolled so far back up in my head that I saw my own brain. It, it's just unbelievable. Am I wrong? Did I miss the boat on this one? Is it okay? No, it's not okay. MTV has now become a progressive outlet preaching and they're going to do a big push for midterms for the vote you watch i know mtv gave us rock the vote back in the 80s i was in the music video business i know that i didn't mind it when it was just telling people get out to vote but when you tell people how to vote and you're delivering messages on every program and now espn is is shaming tiger woods because he doesn't march in lockstep with them because Gee, his color means he should be thinking this way, but he's not. So we have to call him out and say he's stupid. It's just unbelievable. Michael Pelka in for Buck Sexton tonight. You want to join the conversation? We have a lot to talk about. We're going to get into uh, the Catholic Church story. Our buddy Emily Zanotti from the Daily Wire is going to talk to us uh, just in about uh, 45 minutes or so. She's a big-time Catholic. I'm a Catholic. I'm very upset about what's going on in my church, obviously. And uh, something else happened on CNN. CNN, another award of fake news. Maybe two big awards of fake news. I'm talking about the Lanny Davis story. And uh, if you missed Allison Camerata interviewing former Bush White House Chief of Staff John Sununu, former governor of New Hampshire, one of the elder statesmen in the GOP, John Sununu delivered a master class on how to deal with angry media. It's just brilliant. We'll get into that. But you can join the conversation. 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-BUCK. Mike Opelka in for Buck on the Buck Sexton Show. It is the Buck Sexton Show. Michael Pelka filling in for Buck. He'll be back tomorrow somewhere over the great United States Continental State Group. You know, the 48 contiguous states. Buck is probably in the air, winging it home from California. Uh, So I'll be here tonight and enjoying your company. I hope you're enjoying mine. I encourage you to participate in the conversation. You want to rant, you want to rave. I'll be doing a lot of ranting and raving And uh, sharing thoughts, thoughts for the day. I noticed Times Square had an evacuation today. And whenever I get a little alert on my phone, especially about Times Square, I lived in New York City in Midtown Manhattan for 24 years, I think it was, right over by the UN, so not far from Times Square. So when a news report pops saying Times Square is being evacuated, I'm like, what? 
what could go on? You guys know Buck's history with helping to catch the Times Square bomber in his um, his work with the New York City Task Force, the Terror Task Force. So I'm uh, acutely attuned to that. And then I read, it was a swarm of bees <laughs> that uh, took over a section around a hot dog stand in Times Square. And no, it's not the boobies that are there in Times Square because we have that too. Since it's summer, there are uh, uh, a, a bunch of young ladies who wear nothing but paint and panties and walk around Times Square asking for money from people. And, and people give it to them too. They also give them a lot of creepy looks. But bees, bees forced an evacuation in Times Square today. Bees will swarm even in the concrete jungle of midtown Manhattan, the crossroads of the world, if you will. I said I was going to get after CNN, and I will. I need time. I need a lot of time to get into the Allison Camerata, John Sununu story. So maybe we can just follow up on the Lanny Davis story. Lanny Davis, a Clinton operative, a guy who has so, so much tight links to the Clintons, there is no daylight between them. When we were kids in Catholic school, the nuns used to come up to guys and girls who were too close together and say, leave some room for the Holy Spirit. Well, between Lanny Davis and the Clintons, there is no room for the Holy Spirit. I can guarantee you that. So when Lanny Davis ends up as Michael Cohen's attorney, former Donald Trump attorney, now plea copping guy, when Lanny Davis ends up as uh, Michael Cohen's attorney, and I realize he's so close to the Clintons, every antenna on my body is going, boing, this is problems. Lanny Davis puts a GoFundMe campaign up to try and raise money so Avenatti's legal bills won't be too big. It's kind of weaselly thing to do, right? Yeah. I think so. And then he goes on after the plea announcement. He goes on a media march and says and tells Axios and others that, in fact, his client has more to say. Uh, his client has more to say, and there will be much more. So uh, Lanny Davis really, um, I can't tell you what a weasel this guy is. He, he told CNN one thing that uh, in a bombshell report that uh, Michael Cohen was prepared to tell Robert Mueller Donald Trump knew in advance of the Trump Tower meeting. Uh, now he's saying that was wrong. And he and CNN were saying anonymous sources told him that. Anonymous sources, sources being plural, it turns out that Lanny Davis was the only source on this. Lanny Davis is the guy behind it. Lanny Davis has now lied to the mainstream media, and now he's kind of walking it back. But CNN will not walk it back. CNN is still telling the world that they believe there are anonymous sources. Lanny Davis is a big-time liar, and CNN, you know what you get on this one. You get a big fake news slap. We'll, we'll get to more CNN fake news and what they did with Allison Camerata and John Sununu next on the Buck Sexton Show with Michael Pelka. Michael Pelka here for Buck Sexton. 
Buck will be back tomorrow. The Godfather in the house. I was I talking over the intro, I guess. A little bit, I'm told by Brandon. That's okay. A little bit. Uh, we have a lot to do tonight. I'm just itching to get to all the topics. I, I, I have to get to the, the question about the pot and the breast milk. I have to talk about that. We got to get to the Catholic thing. I'm ticked off at, at PETA. Uh, Omarosa, who we banned last week, she's trying to make herself relevant again. She says there's going to be a race war, that Trump wants a race war. Come on, go away. Go back into your... Omarosa hole wherever you go. Isn't she supposed to be on a reality show somewhere locked up for six or eight weeks? Just hoping, I guess. We'll get into that. Uh, There's some primaries happening tonight. I don't know if we'll hear out of Arizona while the show's on, but that's an interesting primary to watch. There's news out of the New York primary race for governor and the Texas race for Ted Cruz's seat that we have to get into some funny stuff happening in there. The the um, the Sex in the City lady who's running against Cuomo, and I think it's part of an Overton window move to shift that political window in New York just a little bit farther left. Cynthia Nixon had no chance in hell of ever getting elected in New York State, but her candidacy allows the Liberal Party to push the Overton window a little bit farther to the left. And it makes Cuomo look more palatable. I know that sounds Machiavellian, doesn't it? I know it sounds like it's just a little too calculated. But I believe this Democratic Party is calculating. I believe Octavio Cortez, if that's her name, Ocasio-Cortez... Uh, Why do I call her Octavio? I have a friend named Octavio. That's why. I believe she's part of the plan. That they package it in an attractive vehicle so that people will go, well, you know, she says some things we could get behind, but she's so crazy. But I do think that in the case of the debates, I know I got ADD momented there. In the case of these debates, the... um, this woman, Cynthia Nixon, has now demanded that the temperature for the debate between herself and Governor Cuomo be 76 degrees because it's sexist if the room is any cooler. I kid you not. I kid you not. That's what is going on. Cynthia Nixon has now demanded that her debate against Governor Cuomo be in a room that's 76 degrees because she's always so cold. Well, maybe if you would eat a sandwich and you wouldn't be just bones and skin, you wouldn't be cold all the time. I'm just saying. I I don't believe she ever had a snowball's chance in hell. I think her campaign is being underwritten by the party to push the party farther left without making Cuomo come out and make those direct moves to the left. I'm just saying. And in the case of Ted Cruz against this guy, Beto, whose name is not Beto. It's a made up name to make him sound more palatable to the Latino voters in Texas. The way that the New York mayor Warren Wilhelm. Oh, no, that's not the mayor. His real name is Warren Wilhelm. Bill de Blasio changed his name to be more voter friendly. 
Same thing with Beto O'Rourke. He wanted to be one of the cool kids. But he was supposed to debate Ted Cruz this Friday. They were supposed to have the first of a series of debates in their, their fight for the Senate in that seat in Texas. Now, the last time Ted Cruz was elected to the Senate in Texas, he won, and it appeared to be a, a, a big margin of victory, but the Democrats identified eight counties in Texas, and eight counties is not a lot, where Ted Cruz barely won. And they have driven voter registration specifically to Hispanic communities And now you have a candidate named Beto, who sounds like he might be a Hispanic man, doesn't he? They have targeted those eight counties in an effort to turn Texas blue. It was uh, six years ago I was part of something called the Testudo Project that was a Republican effort to fight the Democratic effort to turn Texas blue the way they turned Colorado purple. So this is going on. The Democrats have been deeply engaged in trying to get rid of Ted Cruz for quite some time. And they had a plan the day he was elected. And now that plan is is coming into shape. The race is within single digits. And there's a really good chance that Ted Cruz may not win that seat. So I'm telling you, if you are engaged in the midterm elections, which we're now less than 70 days away from, If you're engaged and you're planning on voting, it is incumbent upon you if you want to retain the progress that we have made as a nation in both economic strength, military strength, the consumer confidence, the direction we are going. If you want to maintain it, it's up to you to take somebody to the polls with you. You need to drag somebody's butt to vote on Election Day. All right, I'm done with my little rant. I didn't even get to the the CNN story, but I will get to that. I, I, I know there's so much going on today. So I have a D, another DNC story that we, we have to jump into as well. The DNC, they are just making it too easy to make fun of themselves. And I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope we can get, we can keep the GOP on track to get through the midterms. I, I still think there's a fairly decent chance we'll lose the House. And if we lose the House, you know what happens Maxine Waters gets freed from uh, Nancy Pelosi's basement where she's been for the last two months. And she starts up with her campaign again, right? I'm going to say impeach 45 every day. Impeach 45 every day. Impeach 45 every day. That's what's going to happen if we don't make sure the blue wave is nothing but a trickle. Right now, uh, I think it could go one, one of two Either way, it's a coin flip right now. And if you believe the pollsters, it's a fait accompli, which means uh, game over for the Trump train going full speed. Okay, now what happened on CNN? What happened on CNN? Allison Camerata had John Sununu on the show, on her show. And she invited John Sununu on the show to talk about John McCain, the life and legacy of John McCain. That was the title of the segment. So they talked about John McCain for a couple of minutes. And then Allison Camerata flipped the script and we learned what she was really about. We learned what she was really going after. Check this out. So, Governor, what do you think about President Trump rejecting the practice of putting out 
an official White House statement about John McCain's service and sacrifice. So that that's the question. What do you think? So what do you think, John Sununu, about the president rejecting, uh, couldn't have said it with any more animosity, rejecting the White House statement honoring John McCain's service and sacrifice? Well, this this story comes from a Washington Post story. The Washington Post claims Donald Trump rejected the White House statement praising John McCain. And uh, CNN carried that water for the Washington Post. But John Sununu delivers a master class in reflecting and deflecting and squashing Camerata's bias. Look, that, that, that was printed in the Washington Post, and I have to be honest with you, I don't give much credence to what I read. We also have that reporting. Yeah, well, <laughs> same thing applies, Alice. He laughs as she says, we also have that reporting. He chuckles <laughs> and says, yeah, uh, the same thing applies, Allison. <laughs> How do you not love this guy? But it didn't stop there because now Allison Camerata delivered what she thought was going to be a gut punch to John Sununu. What do you think about this Donald Trump rejecting a statement honoring John McCain? What do you think? And he goes, well... Washington Post, don't give too much credibility. Well, we reported that too, sir. And he laughs and says, same to you. So now he just counterpunched and delivered a body blow. Verbal, of course. I'm not advocating for violence at all. Not against Allison Camerata or anyone at CNN. I could understand it, but I will not ever support it. But so here's Camerata now. She's upset. You come on CNN, and we appreciate you coming on CNN, and we appreciate your take on it. But I don't appreciate you denigrating our reporting. I think that you know we have excellent reporters here. But are you saying that you don't want to believe that? You don't want to believe that President Trump would do that about John I'm saying that I don't want to comment on on a report that I haven't satisfied myself is correct. So John Sununu came back with... A gracious response to a rather ungracious claim. She's dressing him down. Governor? And then she pauses for a couple of seconds. You came in our house. How dare you, sir? And he goes, look, all I'm saying is, I don't know if the report's real. I don't know if I trust it. I don't know if I believe it. She still can't accept it. And she presses on. If that report were true. I'm not going to answer the hypothetical. It's not hypothetical. This is our reporting. We have rock-solid sources Allison, in look, the White House I that there was a on, statement that was drafted. You asked me to talk about John McCain. I'm here to talk about John McCain uh, as I remember him. I'm not here to talk about uh, the press's handling of, of uh, a difference between uh, the White House uh, and the press corps at this time. It's not- so, brilliant response again from Sununu. A statesman-like response to say, you invited me here to talk about John McCain. I'm not here to opine on a difference of opinion between the White House and the press corps. And she goes, it's not a difference of opinion. She still can't give it up. Talk about an ungracious host, but it gets a little worse. The press is handling. It's President Trump's handling of John McCain's death. Look, John McCain uh, was... uh a great American who deserves uh, 
to be recognized as a great American. Um, he is being recognized by his colleagues and friends, his friends around. Uh, Melania Trump has certainly put out an exceptionally strong statement uh, outlining the appreciation for his service. The White House has recognized uh, the sorrow of the family. And, and I think Americans ought to be looking at the positive side, not trying to create a, a division amongst people who are in, in joint uh, uh, sorrow mourning a great America. So uh, another great statement. John Sununu basically laying it out. The White House put out a Melania Trump statement. The uh, colleagues of John McCain are mourning him. If you saw today, they were standing up and crying in the Senate. Fine, that's great. All well and good. You knew the guy, you loved him, you miss him. Allison Camerata of CNN cannot give it up. She continues. Are you satisfied that President Trump's statement goes far enough? Uh, I suspect there'll be additional statements over time. And, and I think uh, this effort to try and create a cleavage there really does disturb me. So he said this effort by you, the media, to try and create a cleavage there disturbs me. The word cleavage seemed to confuse Allison Camerata. And I, I admit, I've never used the word cleavage in that frame, in that reference. But John Sununu just delivered that. Camerata can't seem to quite get it. And she has to ask him to repeat it. Uh, it is Sorry, can you repeat that? Sorry, somebody of, was talking to this in, effort in to fact, what? Cleavage between the White House and, and, the, and uh, those that are mourning John McCain. It is this effort by the press to accentuate the negative that I think has created the climate that prevents, uh, in the long term, the bipartisanship that John McCain supported. And so, Sununu, with another great statement, it's the press who is creating the, the spread between the two sides of the aisle. There's more to this, and there's more great. I, I know, I know it's going on, but this, you never get a moment like this with the CNN anchor acting this ridiculous more of Alison Camerata and her ridiculous meltdown, her attempts to shame John Sununu into attacking the president, which he did not. Sununu, uh, a master class. Mike Opelka filling in for Buck Sexton on the Buck Sexton Show. We'll be right back. Michael Pelka in for my buddy Buck Sexton tonight, and uh, we're trying to get to everything, but I got really wrapped up in this Allison Camerata embarrassing, embarrassing attack on John Sununu. She brought him in to talk about John McCain. Remember the life of John McCain and then tried to make it an attack on Donald Trump. And when we last left the clip, this was uh, still going on with Camerata going after Sununu. She's already dressed him down once, going, Governor, we invited you here, and uh, you're just not, you're not being good. But it, let's see what, what's happening now. I don't want to be a part of rubbing whatever salt there is in whatever wound there may be, uh, because I think that just adds to the division. Yeah. I'm here because I lost a, a, a good friend. I wanted to express my concern about that. I wanted to applaud what he contributed to the country. I wanted to underscore the relationship he had with the state of New Hampshire. And I'm not here to play the political games that some of the press want to play at this moment of, of what I think is great sorrow for the country. So great statement, right? 
You should say thank you and goodbye. We had you here. Camerata can't let go. Just to be clear, we don't see it as a game. Just to be clear, we don't see it as a game. Sununu's only reaction is to laugh. And to be clear, the press didn't create whatever division exists that President Trump feels that allowed him to spike the statement that General John Kelly wanted him to put out about John McCain's sacrifice. The press didn't Allison, invent everybody, that. Everybody, everybody reflects their concerns in ways that are consistent with whatever they feel. I've expressed my concern uh, at the loss of John McCain, who I think was a great American, a great American hero uh, in the military, a great American hero in the political process, and frankly, a great American hero on a personal level to people that knew him well. And it is on those three levels that I sense the loss, and I have expressed my, my feelings uh, of, of sorrow for him uh, having passed, and my expression of feelings of sorrow for, for his personal family who lost him and for a country who lost a great American hero. You're she can't let go. She just cannot let go. Allison Camerata, I hope you watch this and learn something about graciousness and about the truth. The truth has no agenda. Apparently, CNN does. Michael Pelka in for Buck Sexton. Next hour, Emily Zanotti. Come on the back. FBI calls home title theft. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Make, make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Well, it's uh, not really Buck Sexton, but I've got your six, Buck. It's Michael Pelka, the Godfather, sitting in for my friend, former colleague Buck Sexton here on the Buck Sexton Show. Buck is somewhere 25,000 feet over the heartland of America, winging his way back from California to get to uh, the studio for tomorrow night. So I'm here. And uh, we want to talk about uh, some really hot topics tonight. We just took apart the Allison Camerata John Sununu interview. And boy, oh boy, was that delicious. <laughs> right? On the heels of the Lanny Davis fake news that CNN has dug its heels in on Allison Camerata, just uh, amazing. And John Sununu delivering a master class in how to be diplomatic as well as political at the same time. Really well done stuff. But uh, this hour, I want to hear from you about the question of the day, in my mind. I was raised a Roman Catholic, grew up in the south side of Chicago, went to Catholic schools for kindergarten, grammar school, high school, and uh, raised in a house with nine kids, very Catholic. We had a red phone, I always believed, a hotline to Rome where the Pope would call and say, we need more, more kids. And so my parents were dutiful Catholics, and we went to Our Lady of Perpetual Help Church and then St. Philip the Apostle, all that stuff. And my faith has always been part of my life, and now it's shaken by the scandals and the gigantic nature of the scandals that we're hearing about. And my heart is breaking for my faith and the good people in my faith. And I wonder, 
if it's time for the Pope to step down. So I, I want to hear from you guys, too, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825, the phone number here. And uh, I needed to bring in some help on this. And uh, there is a young lady I respect greatly for her work as a journalist, but also her faith work. I learned more about obscure saints that I never knew about when I read or talk to Emily Zanotti from The Daily Wire. So uh, Emily agreed to carve out a little bit of time from her life tonight and join us. Welcome, my friend. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Anytime. I encourage everybody to follow E.M. Zanotti on the Twitter and just go to The Daily Wire and read Emily's stuff. Uh, some of it's quirky. Some of it's kind of freaky. But your faith stuff, <laughs> I think, is, is always spot on and solid. Uh, are you feeling... Are you feeling some of the pain and gut punching that I'm feeling as a Catholic with all the news of late? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't think it's possible not to feel like you've been punched in the gut. And I feel like it happens every day. Like it just gets just gets a little bit worse every day. I think it hasn't stopped since I believe was two weeks ago, August 18th. So we had the first news of Pennsylvania and the Philadelphia or Pittsburgh diocese. Um, overrun with about 300 complaints of essentially pedophile and pederast priests. And now I feel like we've just kept moving up the line. Yeah, it's uh, it's frightening how how pervasive it seems to have gone. And I mm -hmm. get mad. I get mad at the numbers that I see when they start throwing on the numbers, not just of the victims, but the dollars. Because right. the church basically asks every week, like every faith group does, says, hey, we need a little help. The roof fund is getting thin. We got the heater needs to be replaced. Can you help us out? And then I read about stories claiming, well, this, this priest was retired and they bought a $2.6 million mansion for him to live out his mm -hmm. life in. And I just feel like, what are we doing here? When is this going to stop? And w what happened today with uh, with uh, is it Kupich or Kupich out of Chicago? Supich, Cardinal Supich. Supich. Okay. Uh, what what happened there? So this goes back to something that happened over the weekend on Saturday night. We had this eleven-page letter drop from Archbishop Vigaro, who I, I think I'm pronouncing that right, who basically said that. Theodore McCarrick, our former Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, who was basically stripped for having had years of relations with seminarians and just ran roughshod over at least three dioceses, did whatever he pleased, had relationships with whomever he pleased. The allegations in this letter on Saturday were that Pope Benedict had taken some measures against McCarrick and had designated him as he had to stay where he was and he had to live a prayerful and penitential life. He could not go out in public. He was not supposed to travel. He was not to represent the church. Supposedly, Pope Benedict levied this very harsh punishment. It took a while to get back to McCarrick. He didn't really follow it during Pope Benedict's reign. But once it turned over to Pope Francis, it appears, according to this letter, the allegations are that Francis basically reinstated him, said, you know, ignore all the allegations against you. You're going to be fine. You're going to be able to travel. You're going to be a close 
consular to the Vatican. And in this letter, they also named several other people who were collaborators of sorts with McCarrick, including Chicago's Cardinal Blaise Supich, who today went on television. And now, of course, we know that this letter contains very serious allegations. If they are true, in fact, the Pope has done some very bad things or has looked the other way while some very bad things have been done. But today, Cardinal Supich went on TV and basically said, you know what, the Pope has more important things to do. You guys don't need to be bugging him with these allegations of of a global child sex network that he covered up for. He has to focus on climate change and the migrant crisis. And also, you guys are a little bit racist because he's Latino. Actually, the Pope is... Italian by uh, ethnic ethnic background, but it was a very strange day for uh, Chicago's Cardinal. I, I I lost as to speak in the parlance of you millennials. I lost my ability to even when mm-hmm. when the Cardinal yeah. says the Pope's too busy dealing with climate change and the migrant immigrant crisis to deal mm-hmm. with children. To deal with this, what could be a Vatican, if it is true, if this 11-page letter is true, and so far evidence points to at least a little bit of it being true. We don't have everything just yet. But if this is true, then this is a major scandal that goes all the way to the top levels of the Church. And this is the agenda. In fact, I think most Catholics would agree with me when we say this is the thing you should be focusing on. I no longer want any priest in any diocese in the United States or anywhere in the world being able to prey on children, being able to prey on seminarians. If they exist in these dioceses, they need to be punished with the full force of the law. And I think that that's a fair and full expectation of a religion. And certainly this isn't going to be nice. It's going to hurt a lot. But once it's over we're going to have a very different church. So, but these guys are saying, you know what, maybe we'll get to it after climate change. I, I, I throw my hands in the air. I I look at the statements from the attorney general in Pennsylvania and the guy who said that one of the things holding back any real progress is the statute of limitations on child abuse. Mm -hmm. And many States have eliminated that. So that would probably help out in at least going more aggressively after these criminals, these animals, these beasts. Uh, But here's the question I would ask you, Emily Zanotti of The Daily Wire. Do you think the answer, uh, not just solving the problem, rooting out the bad people, do you think the answer is allowing priests to marry? See, I don't think so. I think this goes beyond that. If priests wanted to marry, they would be having illicit families. We would be seeing a very different, um, a very different sort of concern in the church. This is a case where some people who wanted to do some bad things got in maybe several decades ago and paved the way for a lot of terrible things to happen from the top down. We've not had married priests for 2,000 years, and we only seem to have had these problems in the last 40 years. So 
this is a this is a time now. I have had some friends of mine who are also traditional Catholics, like mine, suggest that perhaps we do need some wives in the church because they might be better off at controlling the men. Uh, but I I don't know. <laughs> I don't think that my well, my point was I I always thought the the elimination of marriage for priests happened somewhere in the 13th or 12th century, and it was because the Catholic Church was tired of giving away some of the land assets when there were divorces. And so that's when that came about. That was one of the tales I was told as a young man, because I I asked the priest that taught me Mm -hmm. at Loyola, how come priests can't marry? Don't you don't you see the beauty in women that the rest of us see? And uh, he said, no, it was the vow of celibacy was part of the higher calling. And yet Mm -hmm. now we hear that many of them, not all of them, but many of them, didn't have that vow. I just think if we were to root out the problem, get rid of those bad actors and maybe allow it, uh, maybe like you said, there some wives in the rectory might make to for a lot better situation. And a, you know, a lot I have more. a lot of friends who are entering the seminary now or they're priests in the seminary or they're very new priests. And these are really good guys. And it's important to remember that these guys have been hurt too. The worst that you think of priests and the worst that you think of the Catholic Church and the worst that you think of these terrible people who've now soured everything, they've really ruined this for men who do receive the calling. I mean, this is a a very, very prestigious calling. If you're called to be a priest in the Catholic Church, it means a lot. And that vow is you take Christ as your wife. You take the body of Christ, which is the entire church, and you're responsible. In fact, um, I'll never forget when one of my friends was um ordained the priest who was ordaining him said you know we're all buried and 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 our funerals face heaven our funerals face east priests funerals face the other direction because they have to face the people whose lives and souls they were responsible for so it, it's it's a very it, it's a very high calling and these guys have committed some very terrible acts and every last Catholic is a victim of them. It's definitely of a different magnitude than the sexual abuse victims, but be kind to priests because they, a lot of them, a lot of them did not do anything wrong here. Well, you're, you're really right to bring up the point that this hurts not just the victims of the sexual abuse, but the members of the church, but more importantly, the members of the clergy who are good members. I There are so many priests from my education growing up as an altar boy, as a Catholic in high school, as a person married in the Catholic church. Uh, so many great priests in my life, in my history, that it bothers me that a, a relatively small percentage has done such a mm-hmm. monumentally bad thing, but it could bring down... Uh, the the church at least could bring down this papacy. If you were a betting woman, would you bet that uh, Francis is going to have to step down? I, I don't know. I think it'll come down to what we see and find the next several weeks. It would be a big deal to have Francis step down. That's really not happened before, except for Benedict, who willingly resigned the papacy so we would have three living popes at that point. Um, certainly a trial would have to be held for him and he could be laicized. But these are all things that are so far down the road. Right now, I think what everyone needs to focus on is getting the church to agree to having these investigations, to understand that this matters to people of faith, 
and not just Catholics, but it, it matters to people who have children in Catholic schools. It matters to people whose friends are Catholic, who go to Catholic weddings. This is all very, this is, this is very devastating for a large body of people. Yeah, a billion people plus mm-hmm. ar- around the world. It's a, a, a topic that will not be going away quickly. I wonder, uh, in the back of my head, I start playing what's first, you know, uh, if the Democrats win the House, is is there an article of impeachment before the Pope is being squeezed and, and that situation? So the, all these plates are spinning in my head, Emily Zanotti. Right. I don't know. I don't quite know where where to go. <laughs> uh, what? Give me one story of yours on the Daily Wire that I need to track to get me out of this horrific story. Um, let me see. Well, yesterday we did a story about the introduction of lingerie for men. That's a totally different. Well, yeah, I think it's actually totally different. We did that. <laughs> um, we also have stories up there about John McCain's legacy and, of course, the renaming of the potential renaming of the Russell Senate office building for John McCain. That's something that we covered today. So I, I think you'll find things on the Daily Wire that will certainly take your mind off of the church, but may not make you happy for society. I can't say yeah. that. Uh, that and on top of that, today is pumpkin spice latte return day. It's gross. Uh, I know. I, I can't. I can't do it. I'm, I'm not a coffee drinker. I'm not a pumpkin spice person. But I guess it means it's fall soon to be here. Emily Zanotti from the Daily Wire. Thank you for talking about a real heavy topic. We usually get pretty silly, but I appreciate you being able to go deep on this one. Thank you. Oh, and there she goes. Uh, a really smart young lady, somebody I, I read every single day, and I hope you do too. Michael Pelka in for Buck Sexton. What do you think? You think the impeachment will happen before the Pope leaves? Do you have a thought on all of this? You know the number, uh, 844 900 Buck. You know it better than I do. 844 900 2825. Michael Pelka in for Buck Sexton. Come on back. Michael Pelka in for Buck Sexton on the Buck Sexton Show. Buck will be back tomorrow, but we have a hot topic tonight, especially for Catholics like me. Uh, With the scandal in the church, should the Pope resign? A lot of you are weighing in, not only on this question, but on your thoughts on this. Greg in Allentown, Pennsylvania, welcome to the show. Where where are you on all this, Greg? Uh, Well, not being a Catholic, the the question that I, I first have about this is one, is the percentage of pedophile priests any greater than the percentage of pedophiles in society? It's a good question. I I don't have hard answers on that. Uh, It certainly seems to be uh, a higher concentration, but I'm only going to speculate, so my information is flawed. Yeah, more more publicity perhaps, maybe not a higher concentration. Yeah. And another thing, too, because with these priests and nuns, I think are extraordinary people because they have a say to do things that human beings are not designed to do, and that is remain single. Yeah, I have uh, friends who uh, were priests and became priests and then didn't stay priests that I have stayed in touch with. And I have I have friends who were nuns that taught me in grammar school, and they are, as you have described, remarkable people. So we yeah, need but- to re- remember there is a great number of them out there who continued to do God's work and are strong warriors uh, of faith. So, yeah, great point, Greg. Appreciate you. And I think in in this time, 
we, we can't think to stop praying for these people because that will make an ultimate difference, I think, in their lives. Wow. What a great thought. Pray for the people who so often pray for us. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate that very simple and powerful thought. Michael Pelkin for Buck Sexton. We'll continue talking. Dave and PA, hang on. I want to get to your call, but I have to take a short break. Should the Pope resign? Where are you on the Catholic crisis? Michael Pelkin for Buck Sexton on the Buck Sexton Show. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Michael Pelka in for Buck Sexton tonight. Buck will be back tomorrow evening. Yes, it's the Godfather once again. Happy to be here. This audience always engages and inspires me, so I'm glad you're here. We talked earlier tonight with Emily Zanotti from The Daily Wire, a very talented writer, also a Catholic Somebody I, I follow religiously. Yeah, see what I did there? And we talked about the situation with the Catholic Church and the Vatican and the allegations now that the scandal involving the abuse of young children, predominantly male children by male priests, has, uh, has been known inside the Vatican at the highest levels for a long time. And I asked the question, if it's true, if the Pope knew and didn't didn't address it properly, is it time to remove him or should he remove himself? And a lot of you are calling 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825 to express your opinion. Dave in Pennsylvania is on the phone. Dave, it's your state that lit the fire. Where are you on this? Oh, well... Uh... In regard to this uh, situation, uh, uh, I, I just want to say that I'm, uh, I'm not a Catholic, but I consider myself to be a born-again Bible-believing Christian, and I'd say uh, no matter what denomination you're from, Protestant, Catholic, Lutheran, uh, Baptist, whatever, anyone who's uh, trusted in Jesus as his Savior is, uh, can consider themselves to be a Christian. So. I think ultimately the moral of this whole story is that uh, the only person we can really look to uh, for an example here is Jesus himself, because all the rest of us are flawed in some way. And uh, maybe this had to happen in the Catholic Church to some extent, because uh, uh, the Catholic Church at times portrays its priests and every uh, its cardinals and the Pope to almost be in a higher spiritual realm than the rest of us mere mortals, and maybe just this just had to happen to remind us all that we're all flawed individuals and the only perfect one. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. I don't know if Dave's line cut off, but the only no, perfect... I'm here. Okay, good. The only perfect one as an example was Jesus. And I, I will tell you, uh, well, have you been to Rome and to the Vatican? Oh, no. Okay, it's it's quite stunning. And I've been inside the Vatican. I attended Midnight Mass on Christmas Eve in 1989. It was a powerful moment in my life. I attended something known as a consistory, which is the installation of new cardinals in 2012. And it as well is a powerful spiritual moment. And there are reminders 
of of man's humanity everywhere. Uh, you climb the Scala Sancta to a tiny prayer chapel outside of the Vatican near City Hall in Rome, and it's the Pope's private prayer channel at chapel. It's tiny. You can't even imagine, but the Scala Sancta lead you up to that prayer chapel, and above the little altar inside, and it's protected by bulletproof glass. You can't go in there. It's where the Pope prays himself. Above the altar in, in Latin is written, this is the holiest place on earth. And you feel it when you're there. So there is uh, an understanding of our minuscule nature in terms of eternity and this feeling. And I think sometimes we elevated some of the people in the hierarchy of the church beyond the, the, the humanity that they really should be in touch with. The Pope is the only one who's infallible. And Jesus, the only one perfect if you're a Christian. But uh, I, I just wonder if these humans are truly flawed and they, they are exposed for being flawed. Shouldn't we expect them to remove themselves or be removed by the mechanism? Isn't that a fair assumption? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, I think. And now currently... I posted a poll on Twitter. If you guys want to vote, if you don't want to chime in on the phones, if you want to vote, you can pick up uh, your computer and go to at StuntBrain on Twitter. It's a vital question at the top of my Twitter account. I asked, considering the latest news in the Catholic sex abuse crisis plaguing the Vatican, if the Pope knew, should he resign or be removed? 68% of people in early, very early voting are saying yes. 0% say no. That's interesting. 9% say depends on what he knew. And 21% of my Twitter followers don't care, which is interesting. A fifth of people just don't care. I will follow up on this uh, throughout the evening online, so you're welcome to jump in. Uh, Dave, your state is the one leading the charge on this. Do you think it goes wider across the country, or do you think it's isolated? I think it's wider across the country. Yeah, I, I feel like you are, uh, and not to minimize it, you are the canary in the coal mine on this. Yeah. You, are, you are very, very early, even though we've heard out of Boston for years and New York and now Chicago as well. But I think this is the biggest one. It, it really is chilling. Mm -hmm. And uh, Emily brought up a really good point. There are many great people of faith who are going to be hurt by this, as well as the kids. Sure. But we must remember them in our prayers. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate you chiming in on that. Michael Pelka, my name. As I said, I'm here for Buck Sexton. You're welcome to join the conversation anytime on any topic. We're covering a broad range of things. Earlier tonight, I mentioned uh, some of the ridiculousness in local races around the country. For example, in New York City, there really isn't a snowball's chance in hell that a Republican will get elected to the governorship. It would be nice, but the Democrats are really organized. If you live in New York City, in the lower portion of the state, uh, Democrats outnumber Republicans eight to one. Think about that. Uh, and think about what it took to get Rudy Giuliani elected. You had to have a really incompetent mayor in New York City in order to get a Republican like Rudy Giuliani elected. And, and trust me, New York had a major league incompetent mayor 
that Juliana came in and beat in David Dinkins. And so now New York City, after Dinkins and then Giuliani and then Bloomberg, now they have uh, Bill de Blasio, the communist, a.k.a. Warren Wilhelm, his real name. But in the governorship, it's kind of the same deal. It's doubtful you get a uh, member of the GOP to, to, to earn the governorship. And in, in New York State, you now have Cuomo, the governor, running against, in a primary, an actress from Sex in the City, Cynthia Nixon. And she has set out a condition for the debate that she wants the room temperature to be 76 degrees because if it's any colder, it's sexist. And I didn't realize that temperature had sexism tied to it, but now we know. And I also mentioned in Texas, Ted Cruz is up against this guy, Beto O'Rourke, and that's a nickname, Beto, and it's politically calculated to make him sound like somebody who would appeal to uh, members of... uh, members of the Hispanic voting public. But O'Rourke was supposed to debate Ted Cruz. By the way, Ted Cruz has a debate award named for him at Princeton. So O'Rourke would probably be mincemeat under uh, Ted Cruz's uh, debating skills. O'Rourke canceled their Friday appearance, and we're trying to figure out what it was. We're we're trying to figure out what it was that... uh, has gotten his attention. And now we understand Beto O'Rourke is scheduled to appear on Ellen, on the Ellen television program. And maybe that's why he canceled the uh, debate with Ted Cruz. And my only question for Ellen is, oh, really? So you put him on? Will you also be inviting Ted Cruz? Because that would be the fair thing to do, I would think. Let's see. I got a call on the uh, Buck Sexton hotline here, 844-900-BUCK. Steve from Mississippi checking in. Steve, welcome to the Buck Sexton program. How are you? Can't really hear you. Steve, you're with me. You're on delay, Steve, so you're you're hearing like 40 seconds earlier, but uh, that happens. I don't mean to keep you on hold, and I thought I got to Steve pretty quickly. So maybe he'll join us here in a second. He had something to say, Steve from Mississippi. Uh, Steve, are you with us? Let's check in again. Steve, come in. Steve, Mississippi. Oh, he's not responding. Well, I'm glad he's actually paying attention to his driving. That's a good thing. So uh, I just want to point out those two inconsistencies in uh, those two major races, uh, Beto O'Rourke canceling a debate so he can be on the Ellen DeGeneres show. And uh, I imagine that's his audience. I imagine the Ellen audience is more of a left-leaning audience. Okay, so we got Steve in Mississippi on the phone. Steve, welcome to the program, sir. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'd like to wade in on the Pope. Okay, please do. Are you? Do you happen to be Catholic? I do not. I'm not. I, okay. I, I do. I am a uh, literalist. In the Bible. Okay, a hundred percent literalist. Okay. Yes, hundred percent. Okay. Okay. And if 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 uh, Peter, the Rock, acquires his his authority from Jesus, upon this rock I will build my church. Yes, sir. I'm with you so far. 
That's right. So if if the unction from God is to Peter and it is to be passed down through men, how can you resign? Because it's supposed to be an unction. And if it's not, then the whole connection between Peter and Jesus, the perfect, the 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 triune God, the 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 God in flesh, if that's broken, then what authority is there? Well, I go back to uh, one of the previous callers, uh, Dave from Pennsylvania, who talked about the only perfect one among us would have been Jesus. Well, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. I, I'm, I'm Bible-believing. I, I, I think he is God. It's not perfect, but God is perfect, so he is God, so he would be perfect, wouldn't he? Jesus. Yes, Jesus yes. is. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on this God, one. So he is perfect. Okay, I'm with you and on if, this one. And if he, if he anointed Peter, and the Catholic Church says that everyone that succeeds him stands in his stead, how can you resign a divine well, unction? And if I, I understand if it, the, but but I, I'm going to... Uh, Steve, I, I understand... If that's the case, uh, then what is there? Well, you're, you're a literalist, and there are those that would interpret things different than you, and there are almost as many interpretations as there are uh, groups around this country, sects, if you will, of different uh, groups within the church. So there are literalists and there are people who are interpreting and they will have different interpretations. And uh, I will tell you, I think that the failings of man have invaded parts of my faith. And that's how I see this. And I would think that if the Pope looked the other way and did not recognize those failings of those humans and allowed that to happen to the youngest and most uh, unguarded among us, the children, then I would believe that it is time for the church to remove or the Pope himself to remove. And I don't know all the mechanisms. I have to do my homework on this one. I'll, I'll research it with my buddy Emily Zanotti. And uh, we'll continue on this. Uh, I know I've got uh, more calls coming in. Michael Pelka in for Buck Sexton on the Buck Sexton Show. Come on back. Michael Pelka in for Buck Sexton tonight. I guess I opened a can of worms. I'm trying to get to a lot of topics tonight, but I opened up this Vatican topic, and it is, uh, it's a hot topic because uh, I'm a Catholic. We talked to another very Catholic young lady in Emily Zanotti who writes a lot about faith, but other things in the Daily Wire. And I posed the question, is it time? Is it, is it appropriate if this pope knew and looked the other way in regards to the uh, child sex abuse cases in the Vatican and in parishes around the country? Is it appropriate he should resign or be removed? And currently, 68% of you say yes, 2% say no, 10% say depends on how much he knew, and 20% don't care. 
But uh, James is calling from Mississippi to weigh in on this. James, welcome to the Buck Sexton program. Well, thank you, Mike. Uh, just uh, as a former Catholic myself, I, I was at one time, now I'm not. But uh, it it seems to be that people think that the Pope is infallible when all people are infallible. I mean, they're, they're, they're all fallible, excuse me. They all yeah. have failures. And if you take a look at what one pope said to another, there's still some differences. So how can one be infallible if he's contradicting what another says? That's a good point. They, yeah. Our humanity is what makes us vulnerable in all situations. Yes. And uh, but, it's something we need to be mindful of. But, uh, but thank in, yep. in regards to your question whether the pope should... Uh, resign or not um i think the more important question would be if he knew about this could he be charged as, as an accessory after the fact well it depends on the jurisdiction i guess you know i'll i'll reach out to our lawyer friend wendy patrick and see if she can get us an answer maybe she'll send me a text on it thank you james i appreciate you love my friends in mississippi Let's check in quickly with Ike. I don't know where you're calling from, Ike, but welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Florida, okay. Hey, Ike. Are you talking to me? Did we lose him? Can you hear me? Barely. You got about just under a minute. What's your question real quickly, Ike? Okay. My name is Mike and not oh, Ike, Mike. and that's why I'm hesitant. Um, anyway... Um, I uh, I was a you were you made mention of uh, priests to get married I believe and I think that's long overdue that priests ought to be getting married and they have this pent up energy and it would it would uh, change the status of who's going for priesthood and everything like that and uh, I had some other interesting thoughts. Uh, Hang on a second, Mike. I'll try and get back to you. Mike Opelka wrapping up another hour on the Buck Sexton Show. Come on back. We'll get after it. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One Make, Make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Michael Pelka sitting in for Buck Sexton tonight. Buck returns tomorrow evening. He's winging it home from the left coast, literally the left coast. Uh, we have been hammering on a solid topic for almost the last hour here, talking about the Vatican, the scandal. I do need to get to a couple other stories before the night is over. We have to get to the DNC and their committee ruling that they just changed because they realized it was contradictory to all their craziness and uh, some great moments in Trump history. We will get to that. And what the president said that some people on the left are freaking out about when it comes to social media. He talked about Google. And one of the things he said as a bunch of my friends, yes, I have friends who are liberals freaking out. But I got to get quickly to the phones because they are smoking. Uh, of course, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. We were asking the question, should the, the Pope step down if he's caught? Or there is proof he knew about these scandals with the children 
and covered it up. Mike was on the phone from Florida, and we were running out of the hour. So, Mike, I give you the floor to once again address your statement. Thanks. Um, can you hear me okay? You're perfect. Rock and roll, man. It's all you. Okay. Um, I was just, uh, you know, I, I think you may have mentioned that it would be a good idea if priests could get married, and uh, I'd been thinking that quite some time. My, my wife was raised as a Catholic, um, and um, I, I don't know too much about Catholicism myself, but uh, anyway, it just seemed like it'd be a good idea if they could get married, and I think it it might draw a different different people into the priesthood for one thing, but also there it, if there if there's pent up energy, it could create negative energy. If it, if that makes any sense, I understand where you're going there, Mike. I got it. So I think okay. it's something. I, I wish my faith would consider that, but they, it's an argument for bigger brains than mine. But yeah, I, I know they based it off of what Paul had said, something, but he, it should have been a, just a wish of his instead of making it a mandate like that. The, you know, that's what that's what kind of bothers me. You know, if somebody, if a priest chooses to be completely celibate and everything else, you know, then that's I think that's a great thing. But um, I was, if I could share an example, when I lived in Atlanta, about I think it was the early 90s when a great priest was there. I think he might have been named Martino, maybe Father Martino or something like that. And he got into an affair with a young lady, and he was bringing all the preachers. Before this happened, he was bringing all the preachers of different, uh, you know, uh, Protestant religions, they would all meet on a certain morning and pray together, and was bringing the whole church, all the church segments together, and it was a great thing, and then he got busted for having a girlfriend and everything like that, and I don't know whatever happened, and he got defrocked right away, and uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, he got was- he got thrown out for being human, which, uh, yeah. you know, my, my faith may not like me saying that, but it's one of those things. Thanks, Mike. I got to rock and roll. Let's go to Texas and Fort Worth, one of my favorite towns in the whole wide world. Larry in Fort Worth, welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Well, thank you, Michael. <clears throat> yeah, this whole uh, debacle with the, with the churches going on now hurts so many people. And being uh, Catholic myself, um, it's just sad. But then you think about back in 2002 when, I guess, the U.S., um, priest abuse issue came about. What did they do? Well, they had that, I think it was called the John James Commission that they all the bishops met in Dallas and decided what they were going to deal with, with the scandal. And basically, they just refocused it, putting the blame on the parishioners, where now everyone who's involved in any kind of uh, ministry at the church has to go through this program called, called the keeping children and vulnerable adults safe. But uh, it was like the, the priests say that they go through it too. But Well, like, I think okay. we need drastic action. Obviously, what we did in 2002 and anything between then and now is not appropriate, and we need drastic action. And those of us who want to save the, the church for the good Catholic priests and nuns are are crying out for the leadership to do something. So I, I hope that works out. 
Take care of Fort Worth for me, Larry. It's one of my favorite towns. I got to check in real quickly with Josh in Ohio. Josh, welcome to the Buck Sexton program. Hi. Uh, hey. Thanks for uh, taking my call. Of course, sir. Where Where are you on this topic, or are you changing topics on me? No. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of people are suggesting that uh, if uh, they would uh, allow the priest to marry, that things would change. But the real question is, I think it points to the need for reformation in the Catholic Church. Uh, you see, these priests, they accumulate money through the years, and they have properties and things like this, and when they die, uh, they don't have kids to leave them to. And uh, for centuries, they've left all their earthly materials to the Catholic Church. And it seems to me that if you follow the money, I, I think there's an answer there. Uh, and, uh, I mean, the Bible clearly says uh, Peter was the first pope, but he had a, Jesus, he was his mother-in-law, so he was a married man. Uh, matter of fact, the Bible says there'll come a time when people will come forbidding to marry. So it's not a doctrinal issue. It seems to me that it's a, it's a matter of money, and uh, sometimes when you follow the buck, I think you get the answer there. Yeah, money does have an effect on all of us, doesn't it? And some, it affects more than others. A, a really good point, Josh. Thank you for bringing that up. If you want to vote, I'm going to keep this poll up for 23 more hours on Twitter at StuntBrain, all one word, S-T-U-N-T-B-R-A-I-N. And, and we'll obviously post the results there right now. Overwhelming majority says the Pope should be removed or resign, especially if he knew. And uh, there's still people saying, depends on how much he knew. Uh, if one child was abused and the Pope knew and covered it up, I'm sorry, that, that violates my, my, my rules. I, I got to get into something the president has been getting some heat about. The president was going after Google today, and then the last few days we have heard President Trump make comments about social media banning or quieting or stifling conservative speech. And I am a gigantic fan of free speech, especially speech I don't agree with. I will defend your right to be as offensive as you want. Of course, as long as you realize there are consequences. If you are an offensive prig, P-R-I-G, uh, if you are an offensive prig and I defend your right to free speech, but that means you're not going to get jobs if uh, you wanted to be a kindergarten teacher, that's the penalty you pay. But in social media, they're private companies. Obviously, the First Amendment doesn't apply to them. And I think that we, as free citizens, vote with our wallets or our presence online. Look at how Facebook has been affected when so many of us said, wait a minute, Facebook, you're shutting down our free speech. You're sitting on conservatives. You're limiting who's going to see my Facebook posts. And then Twitter, I was shadow banned. I don't know if you understand it, but there are some of us who will post things on Twitter and no one will see them. And we won't be told that they're being squelched. We won't be told that Twitter is kind of putting that tweet over in the corner where nobody can see it. Well, it happens when you use certain words. If I go through some of my tweets from the day and I tend to report on things that interest me or retweet things that interest me, I can see that some of them get more attention than others. And I know Twitter's going to say, no, it's because they're just not interesting. But I have taken the same tweet 
about Second Amendment rights and removed the word gun and reposted the exact same tweet without the word gun. And it's seen by instantly almost a thousand people. So Twitter is shadow banning people. Facebook is selectively choosing who can have access to its platform. YouTube has done so with a guy I don't respect at all. YouTube has sat on Alex Jones. So I'm, I'm not a fan of Alex Jones, but I think the public should vote on whether or not his content is worthwhile seeing. So when the president gets up this morning and after saying some things about social media and Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and now he makes a comment about Google, because we know Google is left-leaning and Google has just turned down an invitation to appear before a Senate Select Intelligence Committee and they, they said, no thanks, we don't, we don't need to be there. Well, I do think you need to be there. If you are so big that you control a gigantic portion of the Internet, then the government has the right to find out what the heck you're up to if you are indoctrinating or controlling so much information as to obscuring access to certain things that might let people have the whole story. I think it's important. So I was reading this afternoon on MRC, on newsbusters.org. I don't know if you ever go over there. And not everything on Newsbusters hits me, but this one did. It's a story from Ashley Ray Goldenberg and Dan Gaynor of Newsbusters. And it's uh, titled Censored, How Online Media Companies Are Suppressing Conservative Speech. And we know about Twitter and Facebook and, and uh, YouTube shutting down conservatives. And look, I was one of the people who went with Glenn Beck to Facebook a couple of years ago when Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg brought in conservatives to say, we need you. We respect you. And then they did whatever the hell they wanted. So I was there. I witnessed all that. And we met with some of the people from Twitter. I think Jack Dorsey was at the lunch we were at. And they freely admitted 90% of the people who work in these organizations are liberals. You can't swing a cat and hit a conservative. I'm not advocating for cat swinging. But in this story... There are suggestions from uh, the folks at MRC on what tech companies can do. People at Google and Facebook and Twitter. And I think the suggestions are actually pretty good. Starting with people are policy. They, uh, they write, Goldenberg and Gaynor write, tech companies like Google and Facebook are making a nominal effort to hire conservatives, but it doesn't address the core problem within the organizations. The company need to eliminate policies and biases that discriminate against conservatives. So we know they exist. Let's just be open. And the next suggestion is transparency. We need transparency in tech companies. The organization's either have uh, stuff restricted or deleted, need to know. If you're going to do it, tell us. And tell us why. And at this pace, technology is always ahead of legislation. Technology always leads and then the government catches up. 
I'm I'm the last guy who wants more government regulation, but I think we need rules from these companies if they're going to purport to be supporters of free speech. We need to know what are your rules. And they also say they should avoid partnering with bad actors. Yeah. And bad actors include people who are agenda-driven, like the Southern Poverty Law Center. The Southern Poverty Law Center is not a, uh, a fair group. As a matter of fact, they got in trouble for slapping terrorist labels and calling people bad actors. Had to pay, I think it was $6 million in fines. So if social media, all these platforms, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Google would avoid partnering with agenda-driven people, people who are funded by George Soros, I think we'd have a much better situation. And uh, neutral fact-checkers? Yeah. I, I don't know if neutral fact-checkers exist because as long as algorithms are involved, neutral fact-checkers aren't real. If you want to see a copy of this story, I, I think it's worth reading. And I think the president's going to get a lot of heat for calling out Google. And I, I have a friend who's pretty big in the media who said, hey, just because you don't like what Google's doing doesn't mean you can go after them. They are one of the biggest companies in the world. Well, your size doesn't give you the right to trample on people. If that were the case, we'd all be in big trouble. So, yeah, I'm nervous about what Google and Facebook and Twitter and YouTube are doing to conservative speech. And as someone who reported on the IRS shutting down conservatives, the first national breaking story on the IRS going after conservative groups, this really makes my skin crawl. You can see the article in Newsbusters. Like I said, I will tweet out a link to it. Michael Pelka in for Buck Sexton. When we get back, the DNC has a gender problem. Oh, it's a big one, and we're going to have some fun with it. Plus, the Dine and Dash jerk who is facing 13 years in jail. Yeah, it's real. Michael Pelka in for Buck Sexton. Come on back. Michael Pelka in for Buck Sexton tonight. Buck is back tomorrow, hanging out with the audience I so appreciate. And uh, we, we've got politics happening tonight as these primaries are going on. Of course, Arizona is picking the candidate to uh, replace Jeff Flake, Senator Flake, leaving, retiring. And it's going to be interesting who's going to win that Um Establishment favorite Martha McSally, a veteran, could be there. You also could have Kelly Ward, and let's not forget Joe Arpaio. Sheriff Arpaio is in there. And at the same time, the governor, Governor Doug Ducey of Arizona, has the task of replacing John McCain. Now, he has to pick a Republican. Those are the rules in Arizona. You have to select someone of the same party of the guy you're replacing. So if, uh, if God forbid, Arizona had a Democratic governor and a Republican senator resigned in that state, the Democratic governor would be forced to replace the now deceased John McCain with another Republican. And I wonder, maybe we should do a quick, uh, 
a quick poll for the rest of the show. Who should replace John McCain? Who do you think? There's talk of Cindy McCain. There's talk of Meghan McCain. And, and there's six other McCain kids. There's talk of insiders, former associates of, of Senator McCain stepping in. So who do you think should replace John McCain? We're going to have either a McSally or uh, uh, Kelly Ward or or Sheriff Arpaio as the the GOP nominee to face the Democrat for Jeff Flake's seat. And that's not a lock, but we could put anyone, pretty much anyone in that seat to replace John McCain now that he's no longer with us. Uh, so that's a hot topic. Uh, we'll also get to the story of the DNC and their problem with their committees. They got a big gender problem with their committees. And most of that has to do with the fact that they got a big gender problem. So we'll dive into that. Michael Pelka in for Buck Sexton. The number to suggest a replacement for John McCain, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. Let's go. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Michael Pelka in for Buck Sexton tonight. Buck returns tomorrow. Happy to be here. We've got a half hour left here, a little bit less. If you want to weigh in, tell me who should Governor Ducey appoint to John McCain's seat? I'm totally against a McCain family member, just completely against it. We don't have political families dynasties in this country at least uh we did for a while but i didn't like the bush dynasty theory i didn't like the clinton dynasty theory they're still thinking chelsea has a shot no didn't like the kennedy dynasty theory so uh, i i'm against a mccain so governor you got to pick somebody who'll hold that seat till 2020 next time of that a seat up for election uh, choose wisely, people, if you want to weigh in. 844-900-BUCK. 844-900-BUCK. A big news out of Florida in their primaries. Ron DeSantis, a guy the uh, the president endorsed, is um, up for the gubernatorial race, so he's got a good shot. And uh, maybe a, a Senate seat could flip with a Democratic senator flipping for a Republican senator in that state as we'll be watching that in uh, 69 and a half days. Our, uh, the Florida Governor Rick Scott is going to face off with Democratic Senator Bill Nelson in that race coming up just around the corner. So get people out and vote. And speaking of the Democrats, they've had an interesting couple of weeks as they're trying to figure out how they are going to go after the president I know they're working state by state, district by district on midterms. I know that's happening. So we already understand that. But the big question is going forward, and they're starting to put the structure underneath them. We saw yesterday the news that the Democrats had basically stripped the superdelegates from their selection of a candidate process. And the superdelegates were what Hillary Clinton used to guarantee she would beat Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders had that, that nomination stolen from him. 
I covered that campaign, both the GOP and the Democratic one. I attended rallies. I was at the conventions. Sanders had the energy, the crowds, the people. He did not have the machine behind him. They stole it from him. Debbie, what's her name? Schultz should have been run out of that party. She's not. She was given cover. And Bernie Sanders, I I think it's a little consolation to him now. But by removing the power of the superdelegates, it won't happen again. Is Bernie strong enough to live through another one of these campaigns? He's pretty solid. He, I think he's in better shape than Hillary, and he's a lot older than she is. But now the DNC has a problem, a gender problem. You know, because of the way these progressives are, everything has to be fair. It has to be fairness. We have to have fairness. So the DNC's charter modified recently to say that all committees in the Democratic National Committee, all the subcommittees, would be evenly divided between men and women. And they were out there saying, you see, all of our committees are going to have gender equality we're going to have gender equality between the men and the women. It's, it's the way our party looks. We are a diverse party with a commitment to inclusion and opportunity. And then somebody went, excuse me, Mr. Chairman. Tom Perez, DNC chairman. Excuse me, Mr. Chairman. What about the people that are gender fluid? What about the people who, you know, sometimes they feel like a nut, sometimes they don't. What about those people? And they went, uh-oh, uh-oh, we better have a meeting. We're going to have a meeting on this. We need to figure out what we're going to do because there are people who identify as a different gender than the gender they are because, you know, we've now said that there are, there are non-binary, gender non-binary members. There are people who use a different preferred gender pronoun because they wake up today and they say, I want to be this. So the Democratic National Committee voted on Saturday to modify its charter to define gender as being determined by the self-identification in order to include a classification for gender non-binary members. Which, so what does that do? What does that even mean? In order, you were out there saying, we are the greatest party ever. We are the party that has equal representation for men and women. And then now you have to say, and we are going to have to have equal representation for the LGBTQRSTUV community. How do you even make this happen? Are you going to have to now say, we're going to have a a member on every committee? Uh, I know I intentionally used the word member. Thank you. Are we going to have a straight male? and then a gay male, and then a fluid male? Are, are we even allowed to say that? Do we say G? Are we going to have preferred gender pronoun requirements for all of meetings? Do you understand the madness that is inside, that has infiltrated the Democratic Party? I don't think they even understand it themselves. And yet they're trying to say that this is a really good thing. We adopted language that expands our definition of gender 
and make sure we can have gender non-binary individuals participating in our full process. Look, we want everyone to feel like they have a voice in this country. But when you, and I'm looking at you, Democratic people, when you tell me that I'm a science denier because I don't believe your ginned up climate stuff that is really just a scheme to snatch money and redistribute wealth when it's really not going to do anything to change the air quality or the water quality. When you call me a science denier, but then you deny the science behind gender, you have no stance. You have absolutely no stance. So I love seeing the fact that the DNC, which has every opportunity, let's let's be clear, the the Republicans are not exactly acting efficiently in order to keep control of the process. We shoot ourselves in the foot a lot. And if the DNC had half of its act together, they would be stomping. Their blue wave would be a reality. But no, we've got them now running scared. Now they're being chased by their own party internally with their gender parity. You got to have gender parity now on your committees. Or somebody inside is going to yell, you know, we don't have enough one-legged lesbians on this. And they need to have a Native American background, too. Otherwise, we can't be the party of the people. Talk about losing your way. And I mean, no insult, no disrespect to the one-legged lesbians of Native American descent. But you should be guaranteed a member on a DNC committee if that's the reality in your life. I'm just saying. So watch this space. There's a great story in the National Review from Jack Crow about it, talking about how the Democrats changed the rules to say, yay, our committees are equal men and women. And then somebody went, excuse me. And now they had to basically rewrite everything. So killing the superdelegates and now making sure that your committees have equal representation from all over. And by the way, while we're talking about the DNC, uh, what happened to Keith Ellison? What happened to Representative Keith Ellison, the guy who wants to be the attorney general in the state of Minnesota and was charged with some pretty serious sexual aggressive behavior by an ex? What happened to that story? Why isn't that story getting any attention? Oh, oh, that's right. He's a Democrat. So you won't see it anywhere. It's just astounding to me. I'm not excusing crimes committed by anybody on the right. If they got caught misusing campaign funds, you know who I'm talking about. But remember, the Me Too moment was everything. Al Franken's got to be asking, wait a minute, Ellison gets to stay and I had to go? Yeah, Ellison apparently gets to stay. And Al Franken, who I'll bet you is thinking about a run again. Al Franken is gone. So there is a duplicitous nature to all the politics here, but it just seems to be taken to the highest level when you put the word Democrat in front of it. Michael Pelka in for Buck Sexton. I have to get some crazy stories today. There, there's a crazy story out there uh, about pot, 
and breast milk. Now, I'm a big fan of medical marijuana, and I'm somebody who admittedly, in my unsupervised years in college, probably smoked my weight in marijuana. But I stopped smoking pot when I became an adult and got a job, a big full-time job in radio a long, long time ago. And I know everybody's going, wait, you worked on the Wacky Morning Zoo? And you, no, I didn't. I didn't smoke pot when I was working on the Wacky Morning Zoo. I thought that was for my youthful days. So I'm not a fan of recreational marijuana. I, I don't think it's, we know enough about it. I don't think we have a handle on what it does to people who are driving cars, etc., operating heavy machinery. I don't think it's a good thing. Medical marijuana, a completely different story. I happen to have a niece for whom a law was written in the state of Illinois who now can go to school with normal kids because she no longer has seizures. Thank you to medical marijuana. I have a friend who suffers from MS, and but for the medical marijuana he uses, he would not be able to function in society. You know him. His name is Monta Williams. So I'm pro-medical marijuana. I'm against recreational marijuana, and now I have extra evidence to be against it. Uh, the waste from, uh, from recreational marijuana is destroying the water systems in Oregon and the Portland area. So those people who live in that real green area of Oregon, the Portland area, uh, yeah, their recreational pot use is killing the water both the trash and the use of water to grow the stuff. And now we hear that nursing mothers who smoke pot, think about this, nursing mothers who smoke pot, they probably stopped drinking when they got pregnant and said, I'm going to go through my whole pregnancy and not have a drink. That's good for you. Good for you if you did that. I know my mother drank through every pregnancy. We had nine kids in our family. She wasn't hammered, but she had a, a glass of wine at night. But it's your choice. But now in this case, in this case, nursing mothers are now showing up with marijuana in the breast milk. And it stays in the system for up to six days, we're hearing. Another reason why I'm against recreational use. And where's the outcry for the kids on this one? Simple. I know a lot of you are going to say, Mike, you don't get it. Yeah, I do get it. We don't know enough yet. We need to be a little bit smarter. That's all I'm saying. I got a couple more weird stories I have to share with you. And these are the crazy stories of the day. The guy is facing 13 years in jail, 13 years in a state prison for Dine and Dash. We'll get to that. And a bridezilla you won't believe. Michael Pelka in for Buck Sexton on the Buck Sexton Show. Michael Pelka in for Buck Sexton tonight. Gosh, this night went by in a blink. Thanks to all of you for helping out tonight. And I guess it's time for a... Great, great, great moments of President Donald Trump. Yes, you could name many great moments. I'm predicting, I'm making a prediction tonight that Donald Trump's deal, his NAFTA deal, will be remembered... 
as one of the greater deals, not just for what it did with trade between the U.S. and Mexico, not of what it does to help Mexico's economy, ultimately our economy, but how it shivs China. And that's the art of the deal. So watch that space. Just keep an eye on that. And uh, I, I have to also do a shout out to a Weird Al Yankovic, who got a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame and said the following. Please, please don't pickaxe my star. OK, guys, I mean, I know it's all the rage these days, but that's not cool. Just, you know, that's that's rude. Just please don't do that unless unless at some point in the future. I do something unfathomably monstrous and evil, in which case, sure, fine, okay, go ahead. I, yeah, it makes sense. But, but, but anything short of that, please limit yourself to spitting and urinating, okay? I, have some class, people. Have some class, people. Just spitting and urinating on Weird Al star. I'm a Weird Al fan. A 13-year-old boy in me will always be excited for Weird Al. Uh, did you ever dine and dash? There's a guy who's facing 10 felony counts for allegedly skipping out on dates. He would set up dates all around uh, L.A., Southern California, and he would meet the women, have dinner, and then excuse himself just before the bill showed up, and he'd leave. Eight of the women ended up paying the bill themselves, one thinking the guy would actually pay her back. The other two instances, the women got a break from the restaurant. Well, cops caught up with the guy. He's now facing 13 years in a state prison for a felony. Felony dine and dash. Who knew it was a felony for dining and dashing? And his meals in prison will be paid for by us, the rest of us. And then the Bridezilla story from hell. This one uh, I love as well. I saw this on the Fox.com. A bride canceled a wedding Broke up with the fiance four days before the wedding because her friends and family wouldn't cough up 60 grand so she could have her dream wedding. Um, millennials, I'm looking at you. These are a lot of the entitlistas who think that the rest of us should pay for them. No, I think this guy dodged a bullet. 60 grand. She wanted her dream wedding. She wanted to be like a Kardashian. No, no, madam. Wonderful stories. I know it's a crazy stories wrapping up the night again. Buck will be here tomorrow. Uh, he just asked the Godfather to jump in. That's me, Michael Pelka. Follow me on Twitter at StuntBrain, And hopefully next time he's out, I'll be back again until such time. As always, Testudo, my friends, Testudo. Our team on here in studio with Mark Buckman, the CEO of Global Verification.